Hello and welcome to Miss Bossy Boots, keeping it real for women in business. My name is Stacey Morgan. I'm the principal of Port Macquarie Performing Arts. Joining me is my co-host, Jane Hilsden. She's a published author and managing director of Dragonfly Marketing. Good morning, Jane. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Good, thank you. I want to kick off straight away. I'm super proud of myself. Um, my favourite thing for this week is myself. <laughs> I did a, uh, I did like a Bossy Boots group uh, last night because I got my email inbox down to 13. Now, for me, I'm not an inbox zero person. I've never been able to get on top of it. It has always been a bug there. And I, I've gone from 3,000 and something down to 13. This is what isolation wow. and quarantine does for me, Jane. I'm just <laughs> goals. Um, it is amazing. It is an amazing feeling. I did that in January. I think for the first time ever, I got my um, inbox down and my because in Google it, it separates everything. I got my 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 social folder down to zero and my promotions folder down to zero. And I've been able to mostly keep it there. So not so much my inbox, but, but the other thing. So I totally know that feeling. It is so um, cleansing and you feel so organised. My uh, favourite thing this week is another book. I have been travelling up and down to Sydney, so I've had a lot of time to think uh, to listen to audiobooks. And I've just finished listening to Legacy by James Kerr. <gasps> and it's you did? about I love that book. Oh my gosh, it is so good. It, it talks about um, the culture of the all blacks. And I remember your words, Stace, as you recommended it. You said you don't have to be a football head to really, a rugby head to really understand this. Um, it's, you know, the, the, the principles behind the culture of that all blacks. Um, are, you know, principles that you can infer to, to your life, to your business, etc. So um, I just really, really enjoyed that. I listened to it as an audio book, but I feel like I now need to go and buy the written copy so I can actually like highlight like reams and reams of, of um, uh, it's, it's really philosophies, I think, that, that they're tapping into there. And it's steeped in history and New Zealand tradition and Maori tradition. So you know, it's it's not just something that's probably come from the All Blacks itself. It's come from a whole, you know, stack of things that have obviously um, uh, kind of ta they've taken the best of New Zealand culture and, and put it into their All Blacks team and something that we can all learn from. It's Legacy by James Kerr. If you haven't read it already, please do. It's the kind of book that I wish I had read before I moved to New Zealand. I would have had a whole new respect for rugby in general because you know <laughs> rugby is not my thing but it's yeah it's an awesome book um but we, it's not just us today jane no we have a beautiful guest she is all the way from new york city she's joining us um so her name is barbara ryan and she's the founder of a capital markets and communications firm called barbara ryan advisors Barbara has had 30, a 30-year 30 career on Wall Street before founding her business in 2012. Uh, but Barbara also started a group called the Fabulous Farmer Group and, sorry, Fabulous Farmer Female Group, which is a strong community of empowered female women leaders. We're going to hear some more about that very soon. But to, to help us kick off the episode, Barbara, have you got a favourite thing that you would like to share with the Miss Bossy Boots um, listeners this morning? 
Well, actually, last night, I just watched um, the uh, first live streaming of Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Singh. Um, I read the book. I loved it. And now it has been made into a series. Um, oh, by is this Reese, Reese Witherspoon? Yes, I saw yeah. it on the Instagram. And Kerry awesome. Washington. And it's fantastic. And, you know, I watched um, the morning show as well, which was on Apple TV. It was fantastic. And I just love what Reese is doing for women um, actors. It's, it's really great. And she's um, just kicking butt. I mean, she's just taken a lot of great books, converted them into movies, um, put some very talented women on the stage with these. And they've just been a great pleasure to both read the books and then watch the interpretations. And so I'm very excited to watch the whole series. I think there are eight episodes. Where's that streaming, Barbara? Hulu. Hulu. Right. Okay. H-U-L-U. Sure. Yeah. Not sure if we've got that one in Australia, but I tell you what, I'm looking, I'll, I'll definitely look out for it. I love Reese Witherspoon. I've always Oh, I love her. She's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So she, the, I think they have actually a free trial on Hulu right now. Ah, oh, okay. A 30-day right. trial or something like that. Okay. Well, we'll have to look out for that one. That sounds yeah. great. Um, okay. Well, let's kick off some of these questions. I am dying, personally, I am dying to know about what it was like to work on Wall Street. Barbara, do you have a story that, that illustrates what it was like to work on Wall Street? You worked, you know, you worked on Wall Street for 30 years. You must have some cracking stories. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I can't think of one story in particular that really stands out, but there were a lot of them and not, you know, just, just little things. But to paint a picture, when I was a freshman in college, um, in 1977, I went to work at Bear Stearns. So try to think about the world at that time. Nobody had a computer, had cell phones. Um, to say that there were very many on Wall Street, you know, would be a massive understatement. Uh, uh, and... And also, the women that they that were on Wall Street, a lot of career track professional women to model after, um, seek mentorship from nothing. And the few that it did exist, I thought were they were a bit older than me because I was you know team when I first started. I, I started when I graduated college in equity research, but busy kind of trying to be men. They weren't terribly feminine. Um, you were supposed to show up to work in a blue Brooks Brothers suit with a white shirt. And uh, I majored in finance, but what I wanted to major in before I decided that I wanted to do that was fashion design. Oh, so, really? so, so I was not going to wear those stuff. clothes to work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, um, you know, kind of felt very alone and isolated because it was very much a men's club. One of the analysts, senior analysts that I worked with got a lot of his information on the golf course with the CEOs of, of a variety of different companies. And I was never going to be invited to participate in any of those things. So you sort of just are a bit isolated and there is no club to join, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So how did you navigate that? So, because I can imagine that you would have felt um, particularly excluded, but you, you strike me as someone who's not going to let that stand in your way. 
um, and and someone that would have known to some extent, you know, that that might have been the the environment that you were facing. And as you said, yeah, like back in '77, did you say that you started? When I first started, when I was a freshman in college, I worked at my summers and Christmases. So it was 1977. And um, the, world the world has it's changed. Hard to communicate to young people how different oh, the world was. At absolutely, time. like we have just you know come forward in in leaps and bounds. So, so how did you navigate that? So, so like the injustice and the unfairness, is that something that kind of played on you or, or were you just like, do you know what, this, it is what it is, I've just got to keep doing what I do and, you know, keep going? Yeah, I, I've always been fiercely independent, so I don't think it really daunted me too much. I think I was raised to believe that I could do anything I wanted to do. And it was really just a question of how much energy and passion you were going to bring it as to whether you would be successful. So I approached my job as, you know, I just had to work hard and get ahead. And what I found is that that actually does pay off. You know, the expression 99% of life is showing up. What I, what I found um, really interesting in the end was that being a woman on wall street, ultimately, also had a lot of advantages because when I would walk in somewhere, people would look at you and say, what's this young blonde girl going to tell me that I don't already know? And so you had to overcome that. But as you mature and learn things and gain experience and people, you're effective and they want to hear what you have to say and your point of view, they actually remembered you because there weren't a lot of blonde Barbaras that came into their offices. There were a lot of Mikes and Johns and Bills that came through their (laughs) office. So it took harder work and was harder to climb. Um, I think, you know, as I got a little easier too, because just the combination of being a a woman and being young and then you just had so many things going against you. But ultimately I think, you know, women can stand out in a man's world and gain respect for the content, if you will. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Was there a tipping t- tipping point? So in that thirty years, you know, did you notice that there was a time where the, the there was that obvious tipping point where it did become a lot more easier, and there was a lot more females that surrounded you. There was a little bit more equality. There was more kind of recognition in terms of you know not having the kind of exclusive kind of male men club and mm-hmm. those those sorts of things was there a tipping point or do you think it was just like a kind of gradual increase towards where we are today um i think it was a gradual increase um but there were there were a number of things that you know made it challenging um i think for women as well and it that was that i wasn't only isolated at work i was isolated at at home because mm. uh, I raised my children in communities where most of the women didn't work. Yeah. So you were sort of ostracized by them. Um, some people would say, oh, it's their, they're jealous. Some people would say it's their judging. And my husband used to always marvel at the fact that I would be so upset about it and feel less than, and he was that be. And I said, because when you're the minority, yeah. that's the way it feels. So, you know, I walk into back to school night and the women look like at you because you're all decked out. You've just come off the train and, you know, they're all clicky and go to yoga together and, you know, you're just not one of them and they're not really interested in, in being all that friendly. 
Uh, and there were a lot of women that I saw be successful in my age range, I just turned 60, that um, many of them that were successful never wound up having children yes. because of their careers, I think. And the ones who did, ironically, became the breadwinners. And I had a lot of girlfriends at work um, or that I knew through um, my career who, whose husbands stayed at home. Yeah. Because, um, you know, there were, there were just the requirements and, and maybe they so out earned their husband it wasn't worth it or whatever. So even though that's very atypical, it was a large percentage in my community that would fall into one or both of those categories. Wow. Did it ever, did you ever question yourself with any of that? Like, did you ever go, oh, you know, maybe I am the odd one, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? You know, it seems like I'm the anomaly here. Yeah, absolutely. And I really think most women have that because, you know, it would never, ever have occurred to my husband, my ex-husband to that maybe he should be staying home. You know, to mentally and emotionally struggle with, you know, the balance and trying to have it all. So my oldest son is dyslexic and he's graduated college and done great. But when he was young, we had to send him to special school and he wasn't learning to read. And I remember sitting down on the floor in my closet and just crying mm. because I didn't know what to do. And I thought maybe I need to quit my job and stay home and make sure that, you know, he's, he's going to learn to read. Um, and I, we wound up sending him to a very nurturing school and he had four kids in his class for four years. And, you know, that was magic. So uh, I think you do question, you know, the choices you make. Um, and you can't have it all, you know, you make sacrifices. And I have friends who stayed home and raised their children and, you know, every day. And then, um, you know, I have friends like myself and you always wonder, you know, what, what, what was the impact of that? But I can say from a selfish perspective today, I am so grateful yeah. because a lot of my friends that, that left their careers early on to raise their children, um, are lost now. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Um, and I have a whole rich life. Yeah. Uh, and, and people in my life through my work and many of them are, are dear friends as well. And I'm not ever bored. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, you've and done... I have my own identity, which yes. is not just being someone's wife or being someone's mother. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that and it's that's so empowering to hear. And you know, Stace, this is something that Stacey and I talk about all the time. And in fact, it's what this whole podcast is premised on: is the fact that you know we never we never feel like that we're enough in the workplace or enough as a mother. And when we're feeling like we're you know kicking goals in the workplace, we feel like we're letting down the family, or or you know we feel like we should be doing more for for our children and then you look at and compare yourself to others and see what they're doing in that space it seems to be this kind of perpetual never-ending um you know cycle um mm -hmm. but it's so good to hear from you that that you know obviously that you persisted and, and it would have been a lot um more contrasting back 
you know, in the 70s and the 80s, you know, it would have been far more polarising in, you know, than it is now. It's still, I don't think that our society still accepts the um, equality in terms of, you know, stay-at-home dads. You know, I think there's still so much mm -hmm. stigma around that and I imagine so, um, well, I don't know in, in New York if that differs from, say, regional Australia, but I don't think we're certainly there at a point where everybody feels comfortable with those reversed um, roles. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's still so I much... Agree. Yeah, there's still so much that we can do, but I can imagine it, it It would have been a lot tougher back then. So, my goodness, it's so inspiring to to hear that, that story. Um, and now you head up the Fabulous Farmer Female Group, and this is a strong community of empowered female women leaders with a shared commitment to elevating women across the biopharmaceutical industry. Can you tell us a little bit more about this group? Sure. Well, you know, I, I really came to understand uh, the power and the, the joy that you can get through a strong community. So I think just by nature and also by my experience, you know, I just thought I got to work harder and smarter and, you know, I got to do this alone. I, I never really felt that I had, you know, a squad or a support group that I could enlist. And Wall Street is a very production transaction oriented place. So it, there's not a lot of mentoring and there's not a lot of training. There's not a lot of um, managerial roles. Most people are producers and you're judged by whether you, you know, produce a lot or not. And more by results um, in most areas. And, and, th and in that way, over time, it is a great equalizer for men and women. I mean, I often think that the women probably were paid less than the equivalent man, but, you know, it's hard to know exactly. Um, and, you know, probably around the time I turned 50, I realized, you know, I've met all these fabulous women, um, both at the companies I cover within the industry, on Wall Street, and I thought, you know, I should really find a way to bring them together. And when I was an analyst and you'd write a report, it was always about the title because there were 30 people publishing on Merck and you wanted to stand out. So I came up with the catchy, fabulous farm of females and literally just started hosting salon dinners in New York with female leaders that, that I knew. And I think selfishly, I was just craving a rich community of like-minded people that I could relate to, who could relate to me, and where we shared many things in common and could support each other. And I think that I was not the only one craving that because it just took off. Everyone loved it. It wasn't like going to a women's networking where you go and have a glass of wine and exchange a business card. This was people who knew each other well or knew other people around the table, and that's why they were invited. And we sat and had cocktails and dinner, you know, for several hours. And you get beyond talking about what today and what's going on at work to talking about your husband or your children or things that you were frustrated about, I want to get on boards and I'm not getting opportunities, whatever it is. And so the network just kept growing because people would say, can I invite my friend? Can I invite this one? Can I invite that one? It about sounds seven awesome. Years ago, I, I want to yeah, be invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and one of the things that I learned is that, wow, you know, the men are so much better at this than we are. And we think of women as being, you know, more relational and talking more and all of that. But in reality, I think partly because of our work experience, partly because of the way we grew up and maybe less, fewer 
played team sports than, than maybe, you know, the male counterparts. But, you know, when a guy gets a big job, he brings all his buddies that helped him be successful in the last job to the next job to help okay. him be successful. When a woman gets a big job, she's like, oh my God, fooled him again. Now I got to work harder, smarter. You know, what do I going to do? And, you know, they're more um, team oriented, right? So I think that one of the benefits of this is that we all feel such a strong sense of community. And we should all have an ask of that community. And yeah. we shouldn't be afraid to voice it. And oh, by the way, we should be prepared to help the other women. Yes. So, you know, one of the things that's such a contrast is the numbers, the sheer numbers of women in the workforce beyond admins, you know, has grown exponentially. Yeah. So I know that we always like to talk about we're not where we should be. We're not where we'd like to be. And I think that's true. But we've come a long way, yeah. a yeah. really long way. Yeah. And so I try to focus on that. Yeah. So I think what, we have more seats around the table. We have more power. And we have an obligation as a result of that to use it, yeah. to help other women yeah. get where they want to go, where they deserve to be. And I think that is a, a, a shift now, right? I think that's where there's tremendous momentum uh, yes. in the community among men and women. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And in a recent article of yours, you talk about advancing women to the highest levels of leadership does require specific action. It does require the commitment of a community large enough to matter and with the sufficient power and credibility, which I'm, I think you're kind of leading into there in terms of this is like a village that needs to kind of ensure that this happens. And it's not just the females, it's the men, but it's the females supporting females, it's the males supporting females. Um, and it's a, it's a commitment. It's not just something that we can kind of pay lip service to. But you, can, exactly. you, can you provide us some examples of what kind of action is required? What kind of sustained action, I guess, is the question? Sustained action is required and, and by who? Men and women, but, but who? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, here, here's an example. I think that, you know, we have an obligation to support um, to support women. Now, that's not the same thing as saying, well, because they're a woman and they're a friend of mine, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to recommend her for this, that, and the other thing. No, yeah. you have a list of female leaders that you know, or younger women coming up that you think are qualified, that you respect and trust, that you would be happy to recommend. So if you come across an opportunity, or you get a call for an opportunity, and you don't have the bandwidth to do it, then I think we have, we should all um, share the names of other women that we believe they're quality. You know, actually, I can't do that, but you should call this one, this one, and that one because they're really fantastic. They have a lot of experience in that area, and they could really help you. So I think that's number one. Um, yep. I think that it's human nature to hire people that you know, that you respect, and that you've worked with in the past. You sure. know, it happens all the time. So if men if male leaders work with more male leaders than female leaders, yes. well, then obviously the numbers are going to continue to slant in the direction of the men mm, for that yes. reason. And it's not any malicious intent. So I think we as women, you know, kind of have to counterbalance that. And the numbers 
are substantial. So at Fabulous Farm of Females, I host a dinner at J.P. Morgan every year and have for the last seven years. And it's a sit-down dinner for 50 women. Yep. And this January, um, about 20% of, of the um, participants were female CEOs. 20%, wow. which wow. is just Amazing. Great. And that is double what it was just the year before that. Wow. Because a of them became CEOs for the first time. Love it. And that was a goal that they had. And what they did is they shared it with the community. And the community helped them get the opportunities. Now, if they weren't qualified for the job, they wouldn't have gotten the job. But, but they got in the door when the opportunity presented itself. Uh, three years ago, for the first time, um, I invited the men. Because if men have 95% of the board seats yes. and one of your objectives is to get on a board, yeah. ain't going to happen unless you get the sponsorship and support of men. Yes. So men are critical. It was fantastic because they were outnumbered 10 to 1. <laughs> they loved it. <laughs> loved it. And so did the ladies. Mm. Yeah, and so did the ladies. And what was great is that they walked into a room and they saw a bunch of women hugging and kissing each other and laughing. One of the guys um, is a former CEO and he said to me, I have never gone to, a, to an event where there were that many happy, smiling people, ever. Wow. And so it was such great energy. And I think we should reward the men who support the women. Um, so rather than calling out bad actors, let's you know, let's reward and Absolutely. acknowledge yeah. the good actors. And I think the other piece of it, the only thing that I've not really liked about women's groups is that in some sense, they sort of perpetuate the original problem, right? Because yeah. I think the guys think, what are they doing? Yeah. Are they mm. talking about how much we suck? Yeah. Are they planning a coup? You know, what's, what's happening? <laughs> and so inviting them under the tent kind of demystified the whole thing. And they saw we do just what they do. I mean, yeah. maybe they talk more about sports and we talk more about shoes. But, you know, other than that, you know, it's, it's very much the same. These are, these are smart women who are successful, who are driven and accomplished. And, yeah. you know, we have, um, but we have a lot of varied uh, talents and interests and and there is I think a residual from many years ago where men believe women don't support other women that they're kind of mm. catty mm. And, and you know that might be true of some women it might be true of some men yeah. right but I do think early in my career there was this feeling of we dare not join forces because there, there's just so few of us and it didn't feel natural or appropriate to do that. And so now we have lar larger numbers and, you know, we can join together and, you know, have a, have a strong community. Yeah. And that's, and that's fascinating. And it's fascinating listening to you talk about that, particularly your point around when there was so few of you, you felt like it wasn't the natural thing to join together and, and, and where, what I read into that, and it, it might be might be incorrect, but is it's almost like you would have drawn attention to yourself, you know, or unwanted attention. Like it's almost like you can kind of just fly under the radar and achieve, 
you know, achieve what you're wanting to achieve whilst you're individual. It's almost like no one's noticing that I'm a woman. If yes. I just, you know, yes, yeah, I just exactly. stand over and here I and think, do my you know, thing. The, the women that were a little older than me when I, when they were starting to hit real success in their career and I was just starting out right out of college, you know, I did observe that they were trying to be just like the men. Yeah. And I worked at one company where the CFO was a woman. She had a baby and came back to work the next day. Wow. Now, wow. how does that help anyone? Yeah. Mm. Nobody. <laughs> but I think she felt, I will get fired yeah. if I don't do this, right? Yeah. So I have a serious job. I have to act like a serious yes. person. Wow. And so what I learned is, you know, I decided there were a couple things I knew. When I was 16 years old, I was going to have a baby. I was going to have a mom. And so not having children wasn't really an option for me. Yeah. And I realized that I didn't have a lot of people to model myself after. So I just decided I'm going to do it my way. Yes. Yeah. And I had to put up boundaries. You know, someone would say, oh, can you do a call at this time? Well, actually, at that time, I'm going to be at the end of my driveway because it's my oldest son's first day of kindergarten and I'm going to be taking pictures when he gets on the bus. Anytime over the next 24 hours, I, I can do anything you want. But at that moment, and you know what I found? Nobody can say anything about no. that. And no. if you're someone who produces at your job, then you have license to do that, in my opinion. Wow. And that, but that, Barbara, it. that takes an immense amount of bravery because, as you said, it, particularly because you had no reference point and particularly because you didn't have anybody else to kind of model that for. I specifically remember I used to never be um, visual or visible in my, um, my need to go and pick the kids up at three o'clock. Like I would always just say, I've got a meeting at three or I can only do it until three. But I would never actually mention the fact that actually I've got a date with my children. I'm going to go and pick them up from from school because I thought that people would judge me or, and, yeah, and, no, and to I be understand. honest, people do judge you, you know, like I've heard comments from some men around, oh, oh she, you know, she works part-time, she finishes when the kids do or or they'll assume, oh, yeah, you, you would want to finish at three because you've got kids, you'll have to go and pick them up, which enraged me because I just thought, hey, <laughs> hang on a second, you don't know that I'm the one that picks up my kids in my house. My husband mm -hmm. might pick up my kids. Or, you know, we might have alternative arrangements. So for you to so blatantly go, do you know what? No, I'm going to go and, you know, take photos of my, my son is brilliant. And as you said, when you approach it so um, head on, what are people going to say? <laughs> Like, yeah, and it wasn't something I was doing every day. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So someone yeah. would really look bad if they and, – and I think the key is that, you know, if you are a responsible, high-performing professional in your job, then, you know, and I, I think this has gotten only easier because of technology, obviously. But, yeah. you know, it's all about, it's all about producing. It yeah. really is. And 100%. so, you know, different people like to do things at different times, right? You know, I might wait till my kids go to bed when they were growing up and then I do my models and write my report. They had to be published by 7 a.m. But whether I did it at 2 in the morning or 2 in the afternoon the day before, you know, nobody really knows that. And, and it's just really about getting it done and, and getting it done well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. So, so one of the things that I was going to say, you know, has yeah. really changed is I was that person kind of trying to figure out how I was going to do all of this. And, you know, of course you wake up one day and you're pregnant. And so then you're like, okay, here we go. And yeah. then I became the senior citizen in the office. 
breakfast. And so some young woman that I work with could come to my door and then she walks in and then she closes the door and it became like the den mother, right? You know, how do you do this? How did you do that? What did you do about, and they all thought that there was a grand plan. Like you, you actually plotted out when you were having your children and exactly how was it all will work out. And I'm like, no, 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 no. that's not how it works. But I didn't have an equivalent to do that to. So I think, you know, it's so much better today for women because there are so many women. And look at what you're doing. I loved it. Um, When I was reading the package that you sent out, it's really um, fantastic introduction. And, you know, that's where I thought about this isolation and not just at work, but at home and the variety of reasons that, that I felt that. And it did just float right into you know kind of what you're you're talking about and why yeah. you're doing this yeah yeah and and that and you know as the as the and the pack that barbara's referring to listeners is is just like a little pre-podcast pack which just kind of reaffirms the values of miss bossy boots and and our mission you know what we're trying to do and and what we're tying um you know the premise of this podcast too which which of course bought, was born from cheryl sandberg's quote mm-hmm. i want every little girl not to be yes. told that she's bossy but that she has has leadership skills and and um and the other premise of this podcast is is obviously that we do keep it real for for women in business and and understand that it's not just us that are going through some of these challenges and it's so good to hear you uh, Barbara, talking about those challenges that you're, you know, you've experienced in in one of the most, you know, famous um, work environments in the world. You know that Wall Street just has so many um, perceptions kind of wrapped around it. So it's been fascinating to to get that insight. And I agree with you. We have come so far. And to be honest, it's thanks to pioneering women such as as yourself who forged the way with little to no guidance as to to what to do next. But you had the the confidence and the belief and the bravery to do it. So we absolutely thank you for that. Do you think there are some some challenges that we still face um, in trying to secure leadership roles? Like you spoke about kind of women getting on boards. Mm-hmm. Is that still a thing? Is that still hard for oh, women yeah. to do? Oh, yeah. I think, I think yeah, it, it, it's, it's a big thing. So it, it, I would like to get on corporate boards, and I think that I have a lot of skills that would be um, add value to a corporate board. But because I'm not on any, I don't get asked to be on any. And women who are on company boards are on many company boards because then they're on the list so it's trying to get on that list and my career is a little different than some others who were in operating roles at big drug companies or biotech companies where it's more obvious but as i've been a consultant i have acted in that role um, for seven years and helped raise you know uh, over a billion and a half dollars for a variety of different companies and but that doesn't necessarily come off the page. So you have to have people who will actually sponsor you for opportunities. And a lot of those might be women who are becoming overboarded because there's a, um, a drive for increased diversity on boards. So boards are seeking out women, but they're seeking out the same list of women, you know, women who have had a C-suite role, women who have had this, that, and the other. And so again, it's adverse selection. And that's where the part about, you know, enlisting the support of men and women, you know, is, is, is so critical. 
Yeah, yeah. And lifting and, each other up as well, like that not just looking out for yourself but knowing knowing your limits and then being able to have a network of great women around you that you can reach out to for those roles is so important. Yeah, it really is. And, I mean, I wish I, – Fabulous Pharma Females to me has been just a massive gift. And it's really changed my life. I mean, I, I've become really good friends with women that I love through um, developing this network – um, but I have literally a squad of people I can go to, um, yeah. when I have a question, when I, when I need to get to somebody, when I need to, um, do anything, I have people that I can turn to who I would readily help, who readily help me. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And the other pieces, I think, you know, this whole aspect of, of women and leading, even men leading to me, I think you know, we have an opportunity each and every day to lead in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And if we see white space, we can fill it in. If we see someone who needs help, we can help them. If we need to see something, a job that's not being done that needs to be done, you know, just do it. And that is essentially leadership. Yeah. And I really liked your idea around, you know, highlighting the good actors. And I think that's something that we can do um, even more of, because I know that, you know, Stace and I are actually part of a business mastermind group and it's 50-50, you know, female and, and male. And the men within that group are so supportive of, of the females. Yeah. And, and likewise, you know, we have a really, really um, lovely relationship and um, a very obviously equal relationship that, you know, the, the gender issue is really not even a thing. So being able to kind of I think verbally recognize that and even just say, cause we think that, but I don't know if I've actually ever go, gone up to the guys in that group and gone, mm -hmm. do you know what? Thank you for, yeah. for the work you do. It means a lot to us and thank you for including us and, and those sorts of things. And it might actually even make them think about it a little mm -hmm. bit more to go, Oh, okay. So how, you know, I'm doing the right thing. How can I, how can I actually, um, you know, do that with, with other women in my life or in my business or, or whatever. I guess it just highlights it to them a lot more. I, so. I, I agree. And, and there are a lot of men out there, you know, that, that love supporting women. And I think the ones who have supported the most women have more senior women that they work with. And then it's, you know, it, it builds on itself and develops momentum because then the perception of women in general, women in the workforce, women leaders changes yeah. by virtue of um, the numbers. And I'm also very pleased to see that um, we're now in a place where um, you can be an executive, a leader, but you can be a woman and a female because we're not yes. men and we're not yeah. men. And I don't have yeah. any desire to be men. I love them. No. I respect them. But I like the fact that I'm a lady. So yep. you know, <laughs> it's okay to go to work in a pretty dress or um, all of that, you know. Yeah. I think that's part of what, you know, who we are. And I think, you know, I think we'll know when we get there is, mm -hmm. is the time when we can stop having the conversation about, you know, we need to have more females on boards or there's a female and a male and what, you know, where the female and the male is not even mentioned in a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, because mm. we all feel like we are so equally represented that it's just people and it just comes down to names as opposed to what gender 
you are. And I know that there's a lot of men, you know, that I've I've personally had conversations with who are quite affronted by um, the assertiveness of, of some women to ensure that we are on boards or that we are equally represented or that we are considered when events are being put together in terms of timing and, and you know, if we have other duties, et cetera, et cetera. They do get affronted and, oh, this is reverse discrimination. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. you want all the rights, you know, da 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 um, but it, it, we kind of need to have that conversation and we need to be a little bit more assertive until we're actually at that point where nobody actually needs to, to mention it. So sorry to those men. We, we'll keep talking <laughs> until, we, until we get there. Yeah, the final question, what are some of the lessons that you've learnt in your journey to inspire women in leadership, what are some of the things that we can learn from from your your career and certainly your pioneering that you've done in this space? You know, I I think it really comes down to you know keeping your eye on the prize, which is it's all about cultivating the respect of your colleagues, and you do that by delivering, by performing consistently, being reliable, and achieving results. And I do believe that no matter what you are, um, those will ultimately prevail. It might take us longer to get there, um, but I I do think that those things are all achievable. And when I look at all the wonderful women I know that had a goal of becoming a chief executive officer, and they are, it's just, it's fantastic. And you just got to put yourself out there. Um, you got to ask for help if you need it. I mean, I think that's the thing that I learned late, you know, so when I was 50, I kind of figured these things out and I wish I had, you know, enlisted um, the support of others earlier, but be that as it may, I I do think that um, that's an important thing that, that, you know, you're not in it alone. You don't have to be in it alone. It doesn't have to be miserable. You can make friends. And um, at the end of the day, you just, got to do the footwork. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Excellent. Gosh, I just feel so empowered after this conversation. This is such a good conversation to have. Well, I'm thrilled that you, that you asked me to to have the conversation with you. I've really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed speaking with both of you and look forward to staying in touch and watching all the great things you do. I'll have to be watching your podcast now. Absolutely. And speaking of keeping in touch, if, if um, our listeners do want to follow you or keep up with, with um, what you're doing over, way over there on the other side of the world, all the way in New York, where can they reach you, Barbara? Where can they follow you? Where, where are you on social? Um, they could reach me through um, LinkedIn, Barbara Ryan, um, and Twitter, I think it's Barbara slash, I mean, you know, underscore Ryan 12, I believe. Cool. Okay. Um, or oh, my I'll email put- is b.ryan12 at me.com. Excellent. Okay. So if there's, there are people that, that want to join that conversation or to keep in touch with what Barbara is doing um, in New York, they're, they're the, I'll put those three handles in the, the show notes. Great. Thank I you so much. I absolutely love it. It was really lovely to meet you. I guess it's Friday for you. It's Thursday for me. So you'll get a jump on the weekend. Stay <laughs> safe. You too. Thanks so much, Barbara. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Barbara. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Miss Bossy Boots. If you'd like to join the conversation, we are, of course, on our Miss Bossy Boots group and you can find us on Facebook. 
uh, you can find us in the group. Just search for Miss Bossy Boots Podcast Group or you can come and like our page if you just search for Miss Bossy Boots Podcast and like our page. I feel like it's like International Women's Day, like all over again. Jane, I feel like ready to get out there and attack the world. Oh, I'm so inspired that by that conversation. And it really is women like Barbara Stace that I think we owe so much to in terms of pioneering in that space. Um, and I loved her bravery in terms of, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no kind of guidance, but I just did what I felt was right. And, you know, it's what so many women do today. So she was bang on the money. I've loved, loved speaking to her. And I just loved her, you know, thought, thoughts around boundaries. Boundaries is something that I need to get so much clearer on in my life, whether it comes to family or work or, or joining both together. And the fact that she just said, actually, no, this is my boundary. I'm going to be with my kids at this time and I'm not going to yes. feel guilty about it and this is how it's going to go. And then she stood by that. I'm like, yep. all power to you. I need some more Barbara in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Some more so boundaries thank you, in my Barbara. life. Yes, you've inspired us even more. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to Miss Bossy Boots, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. You've been listening to another Morgan Media production. 